are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Angel, and we are counting down the last days of 2022. As I'm sitting here recording this, I'm actually doing a second recording because the first, my first attempt at this episode, there were some things I just really didn't like, so hoping this one goes a little bit better. But it is December 30th, Um, so we're really coming up on the end of the year, and I wasn't sure if I was going to try to get this episode out or get an episode out this week, but I really want to get this series uh, kicked off. I posted on Facebook last week or a week before last that, you know, I was really thinking about doing a uh, set of episodes focused on postseason scouting. So that's kind of what we're kicking off today. And I really wanted to get this episode out because this is kind of going to be an intro to what that series is going to be. I'm not sure how many episodes it'll be right now. I've got it slated for three, which would be this one plus two more. Uh, but there may be, there may be some others. And, you know, that's something that I would like to hear from you about. Uh, if there's things that you would like for me to cover, uh, shoot me an email, send me a message on Facebook, uh, leave a comment on the website, wh- how, whatever's easiest for you. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Um, today's episode is going to be focused as an uh, intro. Uh, and I know that I've got two other episodes planned. One simply about, I'm thinking it's going to be like jur- a journaling episode, but it's really about what I'm documenting when I'm when I'm performing postseason scouting, what information is important to me, how I capture it, those kind of things, and how I use it as a a reference in the future. And then I've also got an episode um, planned for planning a postseason scouting trip. So uh, if you're going to be heading out into the woods, the things that you can do ahead of time to maximize the time spent in the woods, um, get the most done in a day, that kind of thing. And again, I don't know where I'm going from there. So if you've got some ideas, would love to hear about them. So again, shoot me a, shoot me a comment, shoot me an email, let me know, uh, something that you would like to hear. And I will try to either roll it into one of the episodes I've already got planned, or maybe I'll build an episode around it, depending on, uh, what those questions are. Um, so, since it is the last week of the year, I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas holiday with your family. I hope you found everything you wanted under the tree. And likewise, I also wish you the best in the new year. So be safe out there, have a safe uh, new year celebration and, you know, let's kick off 2023 uh, healthy, well, and looking forward to adventures throughout the next year. As for me, I'm going to wrap up my 2022 uh, in North Carolina. I'm, I'm headed up uh, this afternoon, uh, be a short drive up, four or five hour drive up. I hope to be in the woods tomorrow morning. They are calling for rain, so we're going to kind of see how that plays out. Last time I went up, I went out regardless of the weather forecast and was absolutely miserable, but it did end in a nice eight point buck. So I'm just going to kind of play it by ear, but Hoping to hunt uh, a few sets. I know um, hopefully tomorrow morning I've got some uh, activities with various family members up there meeting some uh, one of my my daughters and her husband and their one-year-old tomorrow afternoon to celebrate Christmas with them. And then Sunday I will be having a Christmas celebration with my father, his wife, my brother and his wife, and Bella and her boyfriend Brandon uh, is coming up as well. So be a pretty good group Sunday evening. 
then hoping to hunt Monday morning before I load everything up in the truck and head back so that I can be at work bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Tuesday morning. Uh, let's see, there was one more thing. Oh, yeah, one more thing before we get into uh, the kickoff of the, the postseason scouting series. Uh, so something interesting popped up, I guess it was about a week ago, happened on Facebook. I can't remember who made the comment or where I even saw it. So my apologies for not giving you a shout out, but I saw a comment on Facebook related to lock on tree stands. And I know there's a lot of people that don't like the lock on stands. Their seats are uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. But I've, I've hunted out of lock on stands since the late eighties, early nineties. Absolutely love them. And one of the stands that I've always wanted was a windwalker. And I know Warren Womack has loved the, the Windwalker. In fact, he's probably the sole reason they, they've kind of become a, a popular item on the used market. And I've looked many times and thought about buying one on eBay, but I just refused to pay the inflated prices that people were asking for these stands on eBay. So I just keep putting it off. But I saw a comment um, that... Treehopper, uh, I think it's Treehopper Incorporated or Treehopper LLC. I can't remember exactly, but they make tree stands, they make saddles, they make some other things, but they have purchased the rights to begin producing lock-on stands again. And <clears throat> they are actually actively producing new versions of the Windwalker. And I say a new version, it looks uh, to be the exact same tree stand um, as the old one. It's just being made in a different location and by a different company. Uh, I did reach out and contact the owner, Mark Kama. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's C-A-M-A. -A. Uh, we exchanged some emails and I ordered one that night. Uh, so I'm hoping it'll be here in a week or so. So I might get a chance to give it a shakedown before the end of the season. I do have some property I can hunt through the end of January. Uh, so once that comes in, if I like what I see, uh, I'm going to try to put together a video or maybe even two videos, uh, on the YouTube channel. So, so stay tuned for that. But the price I think is right for a stand that's under seven pounds. It is very light. It is a small platform, but I stand 95% of the time anyway. And the small platform doesn't really bother me and it would shave, a few pounds off of my existing setup with the Millennium M7, which I'm not going to get rid of it. I still love that stand, but this will just give me another another stand option for uh, some some deep woods public land hunt. So really, really excited about that. So with that, uh, let's jump into the episode for this week, which is just an intro to a series on postseason scouting. Uh, and as I've said, I'm not sure how many episodes that'll be. It'll depend on feedback. It'll depend on things that I can think of as I'm going through my notes for each episode. Uh, and what I, you know, what I may hear from, from listeners. So again, if you have an idea, send it my way. I would love to hear from you. And if I can incorporate that into an episode, I will gladly do so. So when we talk about postseason scouting, what does that mean? It's just what it sounds like. It's, Scouting immediately at the end of your uh, hunting, the immediate hunting season. Now, in different geographic locations, that might mean a different thing. So for me and a lot of folks here in the South, we can start scouting the day after season. And 
I will probably do that on some public land in lieu of hunting on the one uh, piece of land that I've got that I can hunt through the end of January. I've already got several locations in mind, uh, some that I hunted, some that I have not hunted yet. Uh, So I will be getting out there and starting my postseason scouting fairly soon um, next year, which is next week. For folks in the north, uh, you have to deal with snow. We don't have much of that. And while I have gotten out and scouted in snow in the past and would do so again if the opportunity presented itself, that's really different than what I'm, I'm talking about as far as postseason scouting. Scouting in the snow, you're going to be looking at recent activity. Um, it could be related to the best available food source with the snow cover. And that that's not really what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is looking for the, the activity from the recent hunting season. Um, and most of that is going to be readily available here in where I hunt up until the end of February, maybe on into March, it'll start getting a little weathered, but you can still uh, see it really up until things start to green up again. For the Northern States, you're looking at after the snowmelt. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what times that would be. My guess would be March, April timeframe. Uh, but the good news is the snow does preserve and protect that that sign. So you're still going to be able to see the same thing in April that I can see in January and February. So that's a good thing. Um, the downside is once season's over, you don't have anything really to do if you're waiting on the thaw to get back out in the woods. Um, which is why I kind of like where I live and the way I get to hunt because I can be in the woods pretty much year round doing something, whether it's some kind of hunting or uh, fishing, which I do a lot of as well. Um, one of the side benefits where possible, and I know I get to do a lot of that here, is combining activities when you're doing your your postseason scouting. Uh, for me on public land, I can carry my bow up until the end of February uh, for small game, which also includes hogs. But I don't typically do a lot of that. Um, If I decide I want to hog hunt, I will hog hunt and I'll incorporate some scouting. I don't typically go scouting and incorporate a hog hunt. I hope that makes sense. But if I'm scouting, I pretty much focus on my scouting activities. I I don't want to be distracted by chasing pigs. But if I decide I want to go chase some pigs or other small game, uh, I will do that, but I've also got my eye open for deer sign, deer activity. It's just a little bit different approach. Now, the one thing that I do like doing when I'm scouting and I can carry my bow is stump shooting. Now, for me, I don't shoot stumps per se. It's more of a it's more of a, a common name. I'm shooting it, you know, sticks or uh, brightly co- colored leaves, those kind of things. I, I, several reasons I don't shoot stumps. Um, I've had arrows that I couldn't get out of stumps because they just buried too deeply. Um, I don't think I've ever broken an arrow on a stump, but the other piece is no, most time I see, when I see people online that are shooting stumps, it's a bigger target than I would typically shoot at. So I don't want to get into that mentality of shooting at this large object. I would rather pick out small objects at, you know, 
10 to 20 yards than, than shooting at a larger object. That's just me. Whatever, whatever lets you have more fun. Um, that's what you should do. Uh, you don't necessarily have to listen to everything I say, but that said, you know, those are, those are the, the activities that, that I'm talking about and going to be talking about, you know, in the next few episodes. So with this being kind of an introduction to the series, really what I want to talk about is why postseason scouting is important. And then we're going to get into a few of the items uh, needed. I've kind of got a, a bullet list in front of me just to keep me on, on target. But each one as I go through them, I may ramble a little bit. So so bear with me. I am going to try to keep this somewhere around the 30 to 40 minute time frame. So hopefully not too long and something that you can go back and and listen to if you if you have anything that you just want to go back and refresh your memory on. So first up, why is postseason scouting important? And personally, why do I think it's better than uh, preseason or in-season scouting? So I guess before I jump into that, preseason scouting and in-season scouting, I don't really do a lot of. If I'm doing any um, in-season scouting, it's it's looking for food sources or active food sources, and it's usually fairly early in the season for me. Um, as far as preseason scouting, I really don't do it unless it's an out-of-state hunt that I really have no other option. Uh, that's really the only time I will use preseason or in-season scouting other than looking for food sources. But postseason scouting, I do a lot of. And for me, I would say postseason scouting can carry me all the way up till probably uh, mid-May or the end of May. By that time, everything's greened up and I really, you know, I've got other activities that I want to participate in anyway. And I want to stay out of the woods Um several months before season starts up. I want the animals to return to as much of their normal behavior patterns as possible. So why is postseason scouting important? And again, to me, better than preseason scouting. First of all, uh, especially in areas that you're scouting where you hunted the previous year, you've got that memory of the, the current season still in your mind. You know, the, the encounters that you had, the close calls that you had, maybe the successes that you had. Uh, But you've got a solid memory of that, and you can actually go in and build upon that knowledge with boots-on-the-ground scouting. Uh, I think we've all had situations where we picked a location, we we hung a stand, we we thought we were going to have good, you know, um, activity close enough for a shot, and maybe we saw animals 30, 40 yards out and, you know, you, you spent a day in the stand. Maybe you went over and, and looked around a little bit and tried to figure it out, but maybe you just, you know, headed back out to your vehicle. Now's the time to go back and try to figure out why were those animals there instead of where you thought they would be? Uh, was it a fluke? Was there a reason for it? Um, do you find, you know, something better that you might want to, uh, store away in memory and, and look at hunting for the next year? Uh, does it lead to a, a better position? You know, those are the kind of things that you can build upon based on your memories of the previous season. And it's not going to be any better than right after the season ends. So, you know, I try to keep notes of every hunt. I'm, I don't always succeed. A lot of times I get home, I'm tired, but 
Um, you know, one of the things that I will do this week is go back and, and look at all of those notes, the things that I jotted down. And many times I'll go, Oh, you know what? I, I, I kind of forgot about that, but I really want to go back and look at this for X, Y, Z, whatever that may be. Um, next on the list, I would put visibility, uh, probably at the top, just because, you can see a lot more in the woods right now than you can once everything greens up. So not just from a distance perspective, but even up close, especially if you're in an area like I hunt, um, where there's just so much undergrowth, so much understory. And I think that's pretty prevalent. Most of the places that I have hunted whitetail specifically, I know it's that way in Michigan. I know it's that way in South Carolina. I know it's that way in North Carolina. And I know it's that way here in Georgia. There's, you know, you don't realize how many little sticks and twigs that are sticking up out of the ground produce leaves when you're out there looking, you know, in the, in the summertime, everything's just green. You're not looking at it from a perspective of where does that green all come from? And when you get out there this time of year, all of that is dead or it's been eaten. And it's amazing, even up close, how much more visibility there is, how much more sign you can see. And it's just a lot easier. Uh, so I, I would put visibility right at the top of my list as far as why postseason scouting is important. Uh, next on the list, um, activity from the previous season. So, you know, a lot of areas, the rut carries on way up until the, uh, up until or past the end of the season. Uh, I know here in Georgia, we typically have multiple ruts. There's, you know, there's always the first and primary rut, but there's also a secondary. In some cases, there's a, there's even a third. I've seen, I've seen bucks chasing does here while in a stand up until the middle of January. So I know there's still rut activity going on. And all of this is, is very visible. When you get out there, you can see this activity. Um, in some areas, you may be even be able to identify feeding locations based on, you know, how the ground is, is torn up, or you can see old droppings. I know uh, one of the areas that I hunted this year when I scouted it, like I'm going to do again this year, back in 20... I guess that was 2021, um, me and a young kid in the neighborhood, he wanted to get out and do some scouting and kind of get an idea of what I was looking for. So I had him tag along and it was amazing how much scat we were still finding around food sources, even in, in January when we went to do our, our scouting. So again, you can see a lot of the activity from the previous season. And from, from me, that's September through January. So a lot of that activity is still visible. You can still find it and you can still use it as a point of reference. Will it be the same next year? Maybe, maybe not. But again, if you, if you take those notes down, it's something that you can reflect on and at least check in future seasons and you can catch it when it is active. It makes it a lot easier knowing that you've seen that kind of heavy activity in the past and it will cycle again. It may not be the next year. It may be two, it may be three years, but it will cycle again. And now you've got a record of that, that you can go back and reference year after year after year. Um, trying to think, I mean, we can talk more about activity, but I think everybody should know at this point what activity to look for. You're looking for, for scat. You're looking for, um, scrapes, they should still be available, uh, uh, visible. 
uh, licking branches, uh, rubs, especially, um, you know, community rubs or rubs that get used year round. Uh, a lot of times those are visible pretty much all year, as long as the, you know, as bucks can rub their, their antlers, but even the smaller rubs, you know, right after season, you can definitely still tell rubs that were made during the previous year. Um, and some of those are going to be more, um, more fresh than others, which you can make a note of for late season hunts in future years. But once you get into the summer, it, it can become a lot harder depending on the trees that are being rubbed to determine was this a rub from, from the, from the previous year or, or is it older than that? Um, trying to think. Travel corridors, uh, funnels, a lot of that stuff, you know, you can, you can find a lot of that year round, but again, postseason scouting, it is going to be a lot more visible, uh, than it might be, you know, later in the year or into the summer. Um, so I guess enough on that. Um, kind of split on what my next one on the list would be. I think an important one is the impact to your success next fall. You can pretty much do what you want in postseason scouting. Um, you're not you're not going to have much or any effect on the activity next fall because as long as you're getting in, getting your information, getting out, yeah, they're going to know you're there, but they're going to return to their normal patterns prior to the next season. Where if you're going in and scouting uh, the week before season opens, you're either going to have to stay away from there for you know um, several weeks to a month. Or it's going to have an impact on on the activity that you're going to see. They're going to know you were in there. So postseason scouting, getting that done in January and February gives the animals several months to forget that you were ever there and they go back to their normal uh, behaviors. So it's a lot less impact on your potential success for the, the coming uh, season. What really goes with that is it gives you the ability to slow down, take your time, and really analyze what you're seeing and trying to put the bigger picture together. You don't have to be in a hurry. You don't have to say, well, I got to get out of here because I want to hunt this tomorrow. I want to hunt this next week. Take your time. Try to get as much information as you can in that one outing, even if you're only focused on a small section of what you ultimately want to scout as a whole. When you go into an area to scout it, even in postseason, Unless there's something you just feel like you need to go back and validate once you've looked at the big picture, I would go in there, get every bit of information that I can. I'll make GPS waypoints. I make notes. Um, If I'm going to do any kind of small trimming for shooting lanes, which I really don't like to do uh, and try to avoid, I do it then. Uh, If I think there's a potential for a good ground blind, I'll go ahead and do as much as I can to build that framework for a natural blind while I'm in there. You know, I don't care if I'm in there an hour or eight hours. I will stay in there as long as I need to, or I will limit the area that I plan to scout that day so that I can get everything done and I don't have to go back to that particular spot. Now, again, and I'll give you an example, one of the areas I know I'm going to scout fairly quickly after the first of the year, um, there's a uh, a really nice bench that runs along the top of a ridge right above a, a stream, a body of water. And it's, you know, it probably runs several hundred yards. I probably will not scout all of that the first day. Um, cause what I want to do is I want to branch off from that. Whenever I see feeder trails to try to understand what's funneling the animals 
through the area that I know I want to hunt. I want to get that bigger picture. So I may break that down into two or maybe even three uh, scouting sessions, but I won't go back to the same place twice. I will I honestly will try to avoid that at all costs, but I want to take the time and really analyze what I'm seeing and put together that bigger picture. And some of that may even be bringing information back home, studying topographic maps, studying satellite imagery, figuring out why the animals are doing what they're doing in that location and determining is it, is it cyclic or is it something that I think is going to repeat year after year after year? Um, so enough about that. Don't want to beat that up. But again, take your time, get as much information as you can and try to get everything you need about that one location done the first trip in and then let it be until you make your first, um, make your first entrance to that area to hunt in the next, the coming season. Uh, your best chances at any location are going to be the first time you, you, Use, you hunt that location each year. Always keep that in mind. If you treat every location that way uh, and try to maximize your opportunities for that first time you, that you hunt a location that you've selected, you're going to be more successful. It's just, it, it, it's just a matter of fact. Um, I will give you one example real quick and then I'm going to move on into um, the items that I carry. But this year, um, I had had a, I had a location that I've been wanting to hunt since 2021. I, excuse me, since 2020, I didn't get to hunt it in 2021. Uh, I had wanted to hunt it this year and I knew it was just a high traffic area. Um, and I only wanted to hunt it three times. So I hunted it in October. I saw a good number of animals, um, had one unsuccessful shot. I went back in November. I took an animal from that location, saw many others that trip. I went back with Tom a couple of weeks ago when Tom was here and we saw absolutely nothing. I don't know if it was because I'd been in there a couple of times and hunted it or if it was just changing food sources or whatever. But third time I saw nothing in a location that up until that point I had had, I think 30, I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but I want to say it was 30 whitetails within 15 yards prior to my last trip in. So I am going to scout that area a little bit, but uh, I want to get in there as soon as I can after season, do what scouting I need to do, update my GPS waypoints, update my notes, and I, I want to stay out of there until next fall. I may put a camera back out there. Um, I've had a camera there before. If I do, I will probably try to position it to where I can leave it until the first time I hunt it in 2023 and I'll extract the camera at that point in time. Uh, so with that, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to move on. I don't think there's anything else I really want to cover there. That covers most of the things that I think is important about postseason scouting. Uh, if you've got some you'd like to add to that list, let me know. Be happy to bring them up in the next episode. So what about items that are needed? I'm going to try to go through this pretty quick because we're coming up on the 30 minute mark and I really want to keep this under 40 minutes. So as I go through this list, keep in mind, these are the items that I typically carry with me on almost every outing. Doesn't mean you have to have them. They just, they're tools that I've become dependent upon that I really try to make sure I carry with me every time I go out on a scouting uh, session, not necessarily if I'm going hunting, but if I'm just focused on scouting, these go with me. First and foremost, GPS. Now this can be a phone or it can be a dedicated GPS unit. 
Um, I prefer a dedicated unit. I use a Montana, uh, a Garmin Montana 650. I've used it for many years. I wished I had a nickel for every mile that has been logged on that GPS. And I'm thinking about buying a new unit this year uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they have updated the Montana. It's a bigger screen. Uh, It's a little bit bulkier, but I'm hoping that the processor is faster and so forth. It's been many years since I bought this uh, Montana I have now. So there there has to have been some uh, improvements both in the software and the the hardware within those devices. Also, the new one does include inReach, which would allow me to uh, pay for a satellite subscription and not have to rent a sat phone for my Western trip that Tom and I are actively planning for 2023 for Wyoming. So I am planning on buying that new unit, but like I said, I prefer a dedicated uh, GPS. I do have mapping software on my phone. I do use it on occasion. Um, but what I have found and I've, I've, you know, I know people are going to say otherwise and that's okay. I can only tell you what my experience has been. And I've tested this. My dedicated GPS is just more accurate. Um, it, you know, when you're, you may only be talking about a few yards, but in thick, Thick cover in Georgia, middle of the night, pitch black dark, trying to find your stand before daylight. It makes a difference uh, how close you can get. And my my Garmin's just more accurate. I'm sorry. If that offends you, well, then I guess just be offended. But I can only tell you what I've seen. Uh, I think they're more useful. I think between saving locations, getting locations out of the unit, using them in other software, bringing them into online tools for cyber scouting and so forth, the GPS is just easier for me. Now, that could be because I've used it more and I'm more familiar and more comfortable with it. So don't send me hate mail if I'm, you know, if you think that your phone is easier. I can only tell you what I have seen and and what I what I have come to rely on. And I do use my GPS a lot. Um, like I said, we'll use my phone as a backup. I have used it when I've been on other adventures that turned into short scouting trips and the phone works okay. Um, but I've just found they're not as accurate. So I prefer a, a, a standalone dedicated GPS unit. Um, something to keep your notes. Uh, I know a lot of people like to keep notes on phones. If that's you great for me, I prefer to have some kind of journal. It can be anything from a simple, uh, small spiral notebook and a pencil or a pen to a, a larger, uh, right in the rain type book, which I do have a few of those and I do use them for me. Writing is better simply because I tend to retain information that I've written down longer than if I'm typing it in my phone. And also it's a, uh, it's a situation where, uh, I can do it faster by writing it down than I can do it pecking out on my phone. So for me, I like the pen and pencil route. Your mileage may vary. Again, the most important thing is you've got a way of documenting what you found and what you've seen, because even by the time you get back home, if you've covered a lot of ground, you're going to have a hard time remembering it. And it's much better if you've got it written down. It'll at least jar your memory. And I always recommend reviewing your notes after a scouting session. Don't just store it away and pick it up six months from now because it's going to look foreign to you. Review it the day you finish taking your notes, that night, whatever. Uh, Other things, water and snacks. Definitely water, especially if you're going to be, you know, covering a lot of ground. Um, 
where I typically am doing my scouting, it's pretty rugged, hilly country. So I do burn a lot of calories and I need the water. Um, and I typically take some high energy snacks. If I'm going to be out for the day, I may even carry a small alcohol stove, um, and enough alcohol to boil some water. And I will carry, I've got a Vargo bottle pot or bot. I'll carry that and some, um, dried soup that I can mix with water, have a quick, um, snack or lunch while I'm in the woods, just something to give me energy and keep me moving forward without, you know, consuming, you know, not eating a bunch of little Debbie's and stuff like that. I want it to be a, a good, healthy snack and give me the energy that I need to get through the rest of the day. Um, sorry if I sound like I'm talking fast, but like I said, I see the time ticking away and I want to get through this. Uh, not necessarily for everyone. And I actually put off buying a set of these for many years, but trekking poles are a blessing. If you're, uh, in rough or hilly country, strongly recommended. Once I bought a pair and started using them, I don't, I don't head out on scouting trips in North Georgia without them. Uh, they just make a lot of difference. Um, both with, um, efficiency and with fatigue by the end of the day. They're just, they're really nice to have, uh, comfortable boots. So I prefer, and I have a set of lightweight hiking boots. I've got a pair of Solomon's. I love them. I wished I'd bought two pairs when I bought them because I recently found they were discontinued. Um, but they give good ankle support. They're lightweight. They don't weigh a ton and they give good traction. They're, they're great from a water resistance perspective. Love them but you can get by with whatever boots you have. If you're going to be in an area that you know you're going to have to cross water, um, you might want a higher boot than a, than just a hiking boot, or you may even want to use rubber boots. I don't like rubber boots for, you know, long days of walking. So if I know I'm going to have to carry cross water, I will typically carry either some, uh, heavy, uh, trash bags, or I've got some disposable, uh, in quotes, uh, hip boots that I can carry with me that, you know, I think I paid 15 bucks for, and I've been using them quite a bit. And so far, knock on wood, I haven't had one start leaking. So I've got three pairs of those now, I think, and I just roll a pair of them and stick them in my pack. Speaking of, uh, the next option would be a, a small lightweight backpack. This is to carry, you know, your water, your snacks, possibly the hip boots, like I just talked about. Um, some other pieces of gear I'm going to mention after this that are somewhat optional. Uh, but you just, you know, you need something to carry, uh, your gear with you again, your GPS, maybe it's your phone, those kind of things. And I use, I've got a, a Badlands tree stand pack that I used for hunting for many years until I switched using, uh, a pack frame and it works perfectly for that. Uh, the next items are kind of optional. Um, depending on, what you plan to do or, or how you approach some of your, your scouting and observations. But, uh, I usually carry my, my limb saw that I use for hunting on a small set of pruners. Again, I don't like cutting shooting lanes and I very rarely will cut a lot, but you know, I may trim up a few, uh, small trees or, or limbs. If I know it's a place that I know I'm going to sit a stand and it's just overly thick, I might do that. Uh, the other thing is, like I mentioned before, I do like hunting from natural ground blinds and I will work on those during the winter. And there's no time like postseason scouting when you find a spot that's just a great setup uh, for a natural ground blind. I may start building the framework of that. I don't want to make it too obvious, but 
uh, I may actually start working on that, you know, during a scouting session. So having those pruners and that limb saw uh, is, is most beneficial. Uh, optics. Uh, most of the time I do at least carry a small pair of like six power uh, optics in postseason scouting, but it's not necessary. Uh, you know, even if I see something through the optics, I'm probably going to make the walk over. So uh, they're nice to have, but depending on how much ground you're going to cover and if you're trying to limit your weight, you can make the decision whether you want to carry those or not. Uh, another option, optional item is um, one or more trail cameras. A lot of times, especially if it's an area I've hunted in the past, uh, I may carry a trail camera or two with me with the intention of leaving them uh, up before, you know, before I leave and, and head out. Now with that, I will also carry some form of climbing method so that I can get that camera, you know, you know anywhere from eight to 10 feet off the ground just for multiple reasons. One, the animals notice them less, but more importantly, they, they don't, they don't grow legs and wander off if you can put them out of the reach of would-be thieves. It, at worst, they're going to have to make a trip back because they're going to have to bring some method of climbing to get to them. And if they want them that bad, you know, they're going to get it anyway. So uh, but I would say, you know, 90% of the people that would steal a trail camera is not going to try to climb the tree. Um, and to be honest, being up that high, I can't tell you how many people I've caught walking through that never even knew the camera was there. One other quick point there I will mention, a trick that Jerry Russell taught me a few years back, and I've used it ever since then and had, I don't think I've had a, well, I know I haven't had a camera stolen since then, um, is to replace the the webbing straps that typically are, that come with cameras to strap them to the tree with a bioelectric fence wire, uh, not aluminum, but um, galvanized electric fence wire. And it, it, uh, it oxidizes really fast and it just, it's hard to see. Most of the time when somebody steals a camera, it's because they saw it based on the, the horizontal strap going around the tree, not the camera itself. And honestly, since I started doing that, I have not had a camera uh, stolen, knock on wood. Hopefully this year is not the year. With that, I think we've covered everything I wanted to cover in this episode. Like I said, if any point that I brought out, you have something you would like to add, shoot me an email. I will definitely make a note of it and try to include it in a future episode. Uh, next week we will be talking about journaling or documenting your scouting trip. So, uh, I hope you'll come back for that one. And then after that, we will get into, uh, planning, uh, a scouting trip, things that I think about, things that I look at, what I want to accomplish and those kind of things. And then we'll see where this goes. That may be the last episode, or there may be, you know, there may be something else that I think about that I feel like is worth dedicating an episode, or maybe it'll just be a, a cleanup episode for all the little uh, tidbits that that come to mind that I don't uh, currently have falling into one of these two buckets. So I hope this one has been um, helpful. If nothing else, I hope maybe it's encouraged you to get out and start thinking about uh, postseason scouting. If you, if you haven't done a lot of that in the past, maybe it'll get you fired up for it this year. Ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just pass along what, what helps me be successful so that you can be successful as well. So until next time, happy new year, everyone. And I will have a new episode for you next week. Take care all.